Welcome back to Hand on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Boggs, and here's episode seven. And it is our first episode ever with a guest. And I have my main man, Dave Looney. Is it Dr. Looney? You can call me doctor, I guess. I'll call you Dr. Dickhead. My main man from Humboldt State. We played on the offensive line together at Humboldt. His first year there, I was the team cameraman. And his next year, we were balling together. And um, he has a bunch of insight on everything. I'll let him get into his profession and his background. But he always challenges me on, I mean, over the years on things like anxiety and TBIs and all kinds of stuff. So I thought it'd be awesome to have a conversation with him. We've been having a lot of conversations after I post my podcast. So I thank him for, you know, supporting his friend. So, Dr. Looney, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, give a little background. Hi, everyone. Uh, so my name is David Looney. Uh, I'm a school psychologist with the, the San Joaquin County Office of Ed out here in Stockton, California. So I've been doing that uh, about 10 years now. And uh, prior to that, again, our old stomping grounds, Humboldt State, played there. Uh, and then, you know, went on to grad school at UOP in Stockton and then that's kind of where a lot of our conversations have kind of come from is that, you know, I've noticed that whenever you're talking in your podcast, a lot of the stuff that you're learning about, you're trying to bridge that with the O-line stuff and some of the football stuff that we've done. And I found that I was doing that a lot when I was going through grad school too. So a lot of these concepts that come up, you know, regarding anxiety and all the other things that you may, you may come across you know, mental wise, you know, I was doing the same thing and trying to make those generalizations. So um, that's kind of like think, Oh, my bad. But do you think, so for me, like, I didn't know necessarily I was like attempting to bridge the gap, but it helped me make sense of like the concepts and theories and everything. You think that's why you did it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> my, my dissertation was on executive function, which, you know, it's the frontal lobes, what's going on in the, the front part of your brain, you know, so how you're planning, strategizing, you know, organizing all those kinds of things, right? And you kind of you see that you that we did a lot of those things in football, right? And even in education, they have a lot of terms that talk about, you know, I do, you do, we do. I mean, you can tie that with, you know, individual drills. Now we're doing the team drill. You know, coach, I'm gonna coach you up on this technique, right? We're gonna go ahead, you know, tackle tight end, we're gonna be working a zone to the right, you know, doing all that. This is how the technique is. And then you guys do it in individual. Now we got to do inside run. We got to do team. You know, it's the same concepts. It's just they're packaged a little bit differently. And I started kind of noticing some of these things. And so, you know, I'm always doing that. You know, I hear something new and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's just like what I learned about, you know, in grad school or something like that. So there's all these things that come up. Do you, uh, so when you're working at school, are you working with any specific population? Uh, in general or do you get to work with athletes is it ever like you know oh I know exactly what you're talking about do you ever come across stuff like that I do sometimes get a chance to work with athletes uh, so we had a particular school it was called Excel Academy it was really cool they tried to label it like an athlete school right so I had that for a couple years and then um, it's changed into a different kind of school but I have another school um, it's called Discovery Challenge Academy and in that school, we get a lot of kids that, you know, either they did play sports or they, um, you know, they want to, right? So that, that school is like a credit recovery school. So they'll go to that school to make up credits. It's an accelerated program. Yeah. And I've run into kids where, you know, they have like learning disabilities, right? And so 
like my job, I'm testing kids to see, you know, how they qualify for special ed and then looking to see what interventions we need to have in place for them to be successful in the classroom. So a lot of times, you know, I might get some kids that, you know, they either have ADHD or some a learning disability or whatnot, uh, but they play football, right? And so, you know, again, uh, I, it was last year I came across a guy. He was from Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh or Antioch. Pittsburgh, and, California, right? Yeah, yeah. So in that program, I was just talking about that DCA program. They, they take kids all over California. So you get all kinds of kids. And he was a big boy. He was like 6'2", 280. He's a big guy. He's like, you play ball? He's like, oh, yeah, I play. And then, you know, we started talking about that and everything, right? And I always mention I played up in Humboldt. Like, oh, yeah, I played up in Humboldt, you know, where they grow all the weed. Yeah, <laughs> he always exactly. like, oh, yeah, I know where that is. Exactly. <laughs> so I'll get a chance to work with them directly. But mostly uh, I'm working with kids, you know, you know, autism, uh, emotional disturbances, you know, stuff like that, severely handicapped individuals. So um, I don't get to work with athletes a whole lot. Okay. So I feel like as I'm, I'm learning about a lot of these things in school right now, it's sped and I'm like, mm, I'm probably, I feel like my mom lied to me. Maybe I'm on that spectrum somewhere and she knew all along, but you know, things are coming more clear the deeper I get into these studies. So last week you were talking about, um, after I posted my video, you, you text me the role that um, culture plays in anxiety. Now there was like some risque topics. Maybe we don't talk about that loony, but um, if we could kind of break down kind of that, uh, how culture plays, because um, let's say like family culture, there's football culture, they could be two different things, but all contributing to anxiety. Just briefly go over that for me. Yeah, yeah, and I'm definitely going to use a, a better example than the ones that we've talked about. <laughs> that, that one makes a lot of sense, but it's so bad. It is. I agree with you on that. And um, so I'll, I'll use an example that kind of relates more to aggression and maybe what is an appropriate way to show aggression or to show that you're angry, right? So say, let's, let's go from like a mental health side. Let's say we're working with a, an individual that, you know, they have grown up in a household or in a culture where it's appropriate to, you know, to hit people or to, you know, verbally berate someone whenever they're angry, right? So like the inappropriate actions, you know, with, with aggression, right? You're going to have to work with them on that. And they might be brought up to, hey, it's okay if I get mad, you know, to, to lash out at you, right? And that's not going to be good. That's not going to be a good thing. You know, uh, same thing if you were to grow up in a rough neighborhood, right? Um, it, there might be a certain way that you, you can act and, and you need to do that in order to get, get respect in the neighborhood, right? So, you know, how you, how the culture is that you grow up in that can, that can shape how that behavior is going to be and what you think is going to be appropriate. So um, that's kind of a, a more lax, more lax example, I think. Yeah, the much better example. The other one really would be like, it makes you reflect, but I don't think it should be discussed publicly. <laughs> that, is, that is a good way to get canceled. Okay, so when, so when you have like, with college football, let's say, you're going to have a melting pot of cultures, right? Like in high school as well, but in college, you're going to have, you know, we had guys from the country, guys from the Bay Area, guys from different parts of the Bay Area that just have their, it's like a whole nother world, like different cities in the Bay, like you get good at saying which culture they're from, or you have guys from South LA, and then guys from like North San Diego. So we have all these, just a melting pot of cultures, and just a different way of people handles like the stress and adapting to 
you know, their new uh, schedules and stuff like that in uh, college football. Um, I guess, like, how does that play a role, like, in, in, in a player's, like, development? Is, is it, you see, like, struggles with people uh, – well, we don't have to do players, but you see them struggling to assimilate to certain aspects of football. Yeah, I think that whole – man, it's like, you know, that first couple weeks of, of camp where it just seems like it's chaos and there's, like, a lot of fights – and there's a lot of things going on. People, you know, they, some some people have coined it like the you know the storming part of of, of camp, right, where everyone is just they're really competing. Um, and so you're you're kind of getting an idea. Everyone's learning because you got all these other people coming from all these different areas with their different cultures. But now the team is going to kind of come up with their own culture, right? So players are gonna are gonna learn, you know, what they can do that's okay, you know, as far as like pushing somebody's buttons or going really hard. So I think you got a, a lot of players, they got to learn on the fly, but, you know, developmentally, like if you were to work with, you know, and I, I know you've kind of mentioned that you've worked with, you know, younger, younger kids on, on like, you know, O-line play and whatnot. I think some of that might tie into even like them learning how to push themselves. Right. So a culture, like say you have a, a kid and, you know, they don't know how to be pushed like, Oh, I got asthma. My mom says I can't push too hard, right? Teaching the kid to learn how to be, how to push himself to where he's not going to be on that brink, like a different kind of a threshold. You, you yeah. see some of that stuff right there. You got to work with them individually. When you get to that college level, um, you know, I've been so so long removed. It's uh, it's kind of hard to, you know, I, I have to go back and actually think about a lot of this stuff. But I, I think just just understanding what's what's an appropriate way, like to compete you got to learn how to compete and not, you know, not getting those, uh, not have too many fist fights, right, Fox? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even think about it, Coach, uh, what was the coach when I was the – Coach Atkins. So Coach Atkins at Humble State, we get in fights. It was no big deal, right? It was like part of the team culture almost. And I'm not saying it was wrong or right. And then all of a sudden spring ball comes around with a new coaching staff. There's a fight. You get sent home. So yeah, it's not healthy, right? Like that, some you know, some cult, uh, coaches they might view that as a, a culture that's not going to be healthy for winning. Right, know? and and I, like I, I get it. Like I, I see both ends, and I'm like, okay, we probably weren't as disciplined previously as we were with uh, the next era of coaching at Humboldt State. I would agree. I would agree. Yes. So it the the interesting thing so. You, I want to touch on this because I think this is where we might be heading. Like, we're not planning anything, anyone paying attention to this. I just ramble. He's rambling. We'll see where this goes, right? So when you have, like, all these different cultures, like, you know, let's say we have kids from South L.A. Well, we would identify them like, this kid, This guy's tough, man. Like, he's just going to hit you in the mouth. Let's I'm not talking football right now. Like, he, he's going to fight you if he feels a certain way. Or uh, maybe let's say um, kids from, like, Richmond. You know, like, they would be tough kids that didn't necessarily mean they knew how to push themselves in football. And the same thing, like we could have a kid from uh, the suburbs that had like two hard, two hardworking parents. It didn't necessarily mean he knew how to push himself either, or, or necessarily had mental resilience either. Uh, what, what goes on like in, in a child's life to, that you see, like that helps them become more mental resilient and, and be able to adapt to, you know, trials and tribulations of football or, or, 
you know, joining a college team and all of a sudden you have to, you know, kind of assimilate or even adapt parts of your personality to this culture or you get a new coaching staff. What happens in childhood that makes people more resilient? Oh, man. Man, I, I think just being successful in certain things and having having confidence, right? Um, you have to kind of bring that that individual up to where they know that they can be successful and here's the recipe why. And man, there's a lot of things right there. So like when I've reflected on my time at Humboldt State, like back in the day, and I, it, it's different for me now. I have a different mindset now, uh, primarily because, you know, I've done some boxing, some jujitsu, some stuff like that. So I'm a little more humble. And I, I, I know now it's more tied to skill. It's not tied to me as a person. But a lot of times when you get those kids that are growing up and they're playing a sport, they're going to tie their success in that sport to them as a person and their self-worth, right? So, you know, if I'm in the game and I don't do well, I'm a shitty person. I suck at life. I'm this, I'm that. And you got to get them to not think like that. They can't have that tie. Like I, you know, and, and back in the day, the O-line thing, we didn't, we didn't know a whole lot about technique. And even this is back in like 07, 08, right? So a lot of it is just being a man, being strong or masculine. I don't want to, I don't want to use the other words, right? All the derogatory words that like, if you're not playing good, it's not that right. Like right. be on a certain, on a certain move or whatnot, you know, it's because I didn't have the right technique to combat that. Right. Whereas back in the day, I might've thought, oh man, I suck. This is, this is not good. I can't do this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think working with athletes to understand that, that no, you know, what, what you're doing here, it doesn't tie to your self-worth. Like if you're successful, that's great. You can feel good about yourself, but if you don't do good, you don't need to feel shitty about it. Like that's okay. There's things that we can work on. You know, you didn't make a three-pointer. Well, let's work on where your elbow is or whatever. And when you're shooting, you're you kind of flaring or whatever. There's all these different things you can talk about with the, with the student regarding the skill and the technique as opposed to tying it to them as a person. And that can help breed confidence because if they get, if they get really good at the skill, their play is going to get better and then their confidence is going to get better. And then when they do have those mess ups, they're going to, you know, they're going to think to themselves, oh no, I need to do this. I need to have, I need to not lose ground on my, on my instep foot or whatever it is that you're teaching in the technique instead of oh, I'm getting work today. This sucks. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like, like what I gather from that is that basically failure, not from like Failure is where you're going to get that uh, mental resilience, right? Because it's like you're looking at it more as an opportunity to get better instead of just saying I suck or I'm soft or, you know, I'm not good enough, right? Yes. Failure should be viewed as a good thing and as a teaching tool. And it's a natural part of the process, as, as you guys may discuss. So, I mean, in childhood, let's just say pre-football, you're, you, is there ways like you experience, you're going to experience failure and a ton of things growing up, you know what I mean? And you're either going to be corrected by your parents or punished by your parents or corrected by teachers or correct. I think even the role that like corrections that happen uh, with, with your peers, even at a young age, like just watching my son in elementary school, I, I think these corrections to failures are opportunities for him to um, become more mentally resilient in the future. And I always think about that. Like when I, if I'm, Punishing or punishing him for messing up, you know, let's just, even if it's uh, behavior, not necessarily failure, am I punishing him or allowing it to become a learning experience? I, I always struggle with that. Does the things like 
that uh, w- with the way like people raise their kids, whether they're over punishing them or not punishing them enough or not teaching them, did those play, in your opinion, did they play a role in uh, people uh, becoming more mentally resilient as they get older? Oh, yeah, I definitely think that it does. I mean, let's take, for instance, if you're punishing a kid, if you're overly punishing them all the time, you know, say we're, say we're spanking, right? I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put a, a, you know, a big thing on that, you know, raise your kids how you want to raise your kids. Right. But, I mean, if you're spanking your kid all the time, you know, they might not learn what it is they're supposed to do. You, you would be better off spending your time trying to teach them what they should do instead of saying, don't do that. No, I do this. You, you want to reinforce the behavior that you want, that you want, right? So we're going to try to reinforce that, that they're going to have, you know, good social skills or they're going to use their words and say, no, don't do that, right? You, you want to encourage those things as opposed to the other. Whereas if you're just spanking them and punishing them or even just taking something away, they might not understand that yet, right? Depending on the development of the student or, okay. or the kid in this point, right? If it's a three-year-old or a four-year-old, right? They're in a different mindset than if they're seven or eight. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, and uh, it, it, you ever, when you come across like a kid, if you could reflect back to when you were playing like youth sports, the kid that just threw a fit, he could be the most talented person, but he just threw a fit over, you know, they, they did you play baseball ever? I played one year. We were, <laughs> we were, uh, it was uh, the team Bilsons and it was a bunch of us dudes that had never played baseball before. And so I, I was the starting pitcher only because I was the only one that could consistently throw it over the plate. And I was probably like the slowest person in the league. It was, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the dog in the background. I think someone knocked. Um, so Simba, go lay down. Sorry about that. Um, well, like I can recall, like in baseball, like even one year, the best player on the team, whenever he messed up, he just cried. He literally broke down. He would throw the bat. I hated baseball, by the way. My mom made me play it. I despise it as a sport. Um, don't cancel me. But he would just break down, throw his glove, burst out into tears. And I'm like, bro, you're, a, you're 12 years old. Like, what, what are we doing here? And I think a lot of times it gets chopped up to like, oh, he's competitive. Or he's, um, you know, he's just, you know, like they, that saying that a, sort, uh, a good loser is still a loser. So it'll get kind of like overlooked, but I'm like this, I don't see how that benefits him in the future in regard to being mentally resilient when, when he's going to have to handle things as they get harder, even like even uh, his future in sports uh, or life, let alone sports. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, you, you have coaches, you might have coaches that are really nitpicky about stuff, right? Like I remember you mentioned the hand on the line thing. But what if you line, right? We've all had those coaches that, you know, you might have some of those, some of those people that they don't always go all the way to the line or touch that line, right? And yeah. there are coaches that'll let that slide. And then there are some that won't. And then, you know, that if you handle that right at a young age and you get them to understand certain principles and what, what's expected of you and expected of you of how to act, it's all an individual thing, but you got to start that young. It's like with that kid that was, you know, throwing a fit i mean you gotta they, they got you gotta work with him early on on that right there's lots of things you'd have to do what what's some of the things you do when you come across a guy because to me i'm like there's a lot of people that struggle with failing or messing up but it's st- it stood out for me because 
this was like uh, when it's the best athlete that can't handle it. What what are like some steps you take? Is there like some principles or methods or approaches you take when there's a, a like a great talent that just can't handle failure? Because that's the way I look at it. They're not recognizing the lesson in it, and they're not getting the. Because if you're gonna fail, at least get the, the the benefits that come with it. If you're gonna lose at something, at least get like the benefits of the of of growing, whether it be skill or mental resilience. There's short and long term benefits of every time you lose, every time you put your hand in the ground and you get beat. You know, it, it sucks, it hurts, but there's also something to learn from there. And both, they could have short and long-term implications. So what do you do with the guy that's just, he's just throwing fits? Man, the first thing that pops in my head with that is you got someone who can think either emotionally or think rationally. And this kind of comes a little bit from uh, some of my training in dialectical behavior therapy. And there was a wide receiver uh, on the Chicago Bears a few years ago, uh, with he had diagnosed borderline personality disorder. Yeah, I'm 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 cool with him. Okay, yeah. So he pro actually, bowler. He's a pro um, bowler. Right? Yeah, he's he's a pro bowler. All pro. It's all pro. Yeah, he was diagnosed borderline personality disorder, right? Yeah. He actually went the program that I got trained in because we we had a uh, you know we we've sent four people to go out there and get trained in that therapy, and the, the people that did that, Marsh Linehan. The, her institute, she worked with him one-on-one so that she went through the program as well. But one of those things is just trying to get people to stay in that rational and kind of logical state, right? Because again, you lose, you can get really emotional. Ah, shit, I lost. No, you know, all these things can happen, right? But you as a, what's going to be best for you is if you don't get over emotional. And I mean, you, we've seen it happen, man. I mean, the, you know, you could, uh, What's that Dave Chappelle skit where the guy's like so angry or whatever? He's like, I'm just crying because I'm so angry. But yeah, people do that, right? We've had that happen in practice, man. I've done it before. Yeah, so no, have, no doubt. I'm, I'm crying. I'm in the huddle. Like I'm gonna, I want to, I want to take this dude out, right? But again, how is that gonna help me? I'm, I'm not thinking about the play. I'm my, my anxiety, what, whatever's going on emotionally, it's out of whack. I can't think logically. So getting someone to understand that you're going to be a better competitor and a better player if you're thinking logically more often than emotionally. You can let the emotions drive you a little bit, but there, there, there's a threshold you gotta, you got to play within, right? Because having a little bit of emotion is good, but when you go outside the, those lines of where you can actually control what your behavior is and what your thoughts are, that's when you're no longer, you're no longer at your best. And getting someone to understand that, that that's going to help them the best. And that makes sense. And like one of the things I never want to do is like take away. I, you hear me say it like slay the, the athlete's dragon. You, you know what I mean? I use that a I like lot. That thing. I like it. Yeah. And, and um, because you don't want to take away what makes athletes them. So like said player has he had borderline personality disorder, right? Yep. Um, he did. He, 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 he always walked on the ledges. He was always a little nuts, right? Like, but you could see that he was functioning better. There was just less dysfunction with him, like, and we had some, uh, you know, a good season and a bad season while I was there with him. Um, but you could see that he he was able to handle the bad times better. You know what I mean? And he, he became a better teammate, and he was still at least that that psycho that could make crazy catches and stuff. You know what I mean? Which which made him unique. And I and I I agree with that. Like a little emotion is good. Like clearly, there's a there's got to be some kind of a biological 
uh, advantage to having a little emotion. Otherwise, we still wouldn't have it today. But um, being able to control and understand it. So, so you're starting off with getting them to understand between the logic and the emotional state. Is there any like tidbits you could give? Is there like an exposure you could do to start like working with kids or, or people in general when they to help them overcome it when they're just over emotional? Because I know that athlete, he was over emotional yes. and he definitely he definitely progressed. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So that, that there's one key word that you mentioned there that was like desensitized. Right. A lot of times when you're when you're doing these kinds of therapies, right, um, you know, with, with dialectical behavior therapy, you got that teaching of the rational mind, the emotional mind. Then on top of that, they're trying to teach some mindfulness skills and, that, and then some coping skills. But also with that, you got to get desensitized to what your triggers are, whatever those may be. And they're going to be different for every every individual. Right. So it might be somebody calling me fat or slow. Or you know, it could be whatever. I'll just use that as the example, because when I was a little kid. People used to make fun of me. I was I was fat ass Dave until I started playing ball. Then I became Big Dave. Right? That's how it usually works out. I I never once called you Big Dave in the fourteen years we've known each other. Never once have I called you Big Dave. I know, but if you go to go down to <laughs> other parts, I'm known as Big Dave or you, you know names 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 change every now and again, right? <laughs> but we're using this example. <laughs> So, so you can get triggered and it could be anything, man. I mean, it, it could be racial. It could be ethnic. I, I, there's all these different triggers that you can have. But one of the reasons why certain programs will fail, and this is coming from Dr. Freeberg, who was out at Palo Alto University. He, he came in and was a consultant with us on uh, some CBT work. Okay. That's cognitive behavior therapy. That, that's my favorite theory, by the way. Oh, go nice, ahead. nice. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things whenever you're working with you know, uh, individuals and you're work, working with like, for like, you know, aggression or those kinds of behaviors, they have to go in the program. You have to desensitize them to that, whatever the stimulus is that gets them off the rails. So again, if someone was calling me fat and I would just lose it and I'm punching people in the face, doesn't matter. Okay. Well, we got to go through this program. You got to understand what rational, what irrational is. You got to understand, you got to get better at working on some coping strategies. And then we actually have to go and put you in the fire. I got to go and I got to get someone to sit here and call you fat ass in your face. And you got to utilize those coping strategies that we've been working on in treatment. That's what you have to do. And then you have to assess, okay, where am I with that? Have I mastered that coping strategy? Because if I have, I'm not punching you in the face. And if I haven't, you likely got hit in the face now, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's kind of a, you know, like a shortened way of looking at it, but you have to get desensitized to those triggers that you're going to have. And for the uh, athlete that we're talking about, that was likely, you know, in the treatment plan. What is the yeah. trigger for you? Okay. We got to get good at handling that trigger. So, so it starts off like, okay, we have identified the trigger. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, like mine was, so I had one, I'll just use me. Okay. Screw it. I'll be the patient. Mine was just not good enough, right? So how do I get exposure to that? Like hearing I'm not good enough. You, you would have someone tell you. Like you, we would have it set up. Say it's like a group therapy session, okay? Yeah. We would have someone tell you, Boggs, you're not good. You're not going to make it. You're too small. You're not really that fast. You're not even that strong enough. You're not going to make it in, in this league. It's not going to happen. You should hang them up. 
And then how do you react to that? Okay. So if we go to the cognitive behavioral route, right? I'm going to have an automatic thought when I hear that. And the idea is that that automatic thought can then dictate my future behavior at the end of like in a nutshell. Right. Yeah. So, so like I would hear that thing on the macro, it would motivate me. Right. You're not good enough. You know what I mean? But I had time to talk myself into it. I'm in my backyard in the IE training and I'm thinking of my high school coach saying you're not good enough. But so, so I could work through it then, but in the moment I could hear these things and it would wreck me. You know what I mean? But I could work through it. I could find a way to work through it. Back then, therapy was a four-letter word in my family, right? So it wasn't something I considered. Anxiety, I didn't even know what that was. Butterflies, it was a good thing because you, you, you get a hit and they go away. But so if some, when someone told me these things like, oh, you're not good enough, or, or even if it wasn't direct, this isn't good enough, I heard that as you're not good enough, you're not going to make it, your dreams are bogus, right? And I could recall that at, uh, uh, in high school, I can recall that happening to me in, at Humble. I can recall it even a couple times in the NFL. I hear it, and lo and behold, I'd go play like I wasn't good enough every time. But in broad scale, again, I hear it. I hear it in February, February first, February third. I'm squatting, thinking about it. And I'm getting ready to prove a guy wrong. But it, it did. It it messed me up. In the, if it happened right in that moment, you know what I mean? If I heard that, it, and it would screw me up for the day. So you would put me in a group. You would have a bunch of people telling me, you're not good enough. How, and then I got to work through it, basically. And we would process that, right? Like, okay, Boggs, what, what is that automatic thought? All right, we write that down. We work through that. Okay, when you have that automatic thought, are you feeling anything in your body? Are you, you know, are you getting emotional? You, you're starting to get your, your fists are starting to clench up. Are you starting to get down, sad? you know, kind of depressed, you, you work through that, you get that feedback from the person you're working with, and then you go and you try to see what works for them. And what's, what, what is that automatic thought? When you get that automatic thought, you need to think this, because the problem wasn't when you heard that in February, right? When, when you're in February, you're at home, you're in the IE, you can get in the squat rack and say, I'm going to prove this mother sucker wrong. Right. Right. Exactly. But so again, you get me. If you're hearing that in the middle of in August, it's August 2nd, we're in camp and you're hearing that D lines talking shit to you. Oh, well, now, you know, you're, you're triggered, right? You, you yeah. got to have you got to have a plan and you got to have that coping strategy mastered so that in August you're ready to rock and roll and you're not going to get phased because you've got to be on point with your game. So. That's uh, what about. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense, especially like when you're looking at it like, OK, um, if you look at the way my career went from, you know, I was sorry, high school player that became, uh, I'm, you know, I eventually made varsity later than all my friends. Right. In my the way I can uh, reflect on everything is give me enough time. I'm going to figure this out. I can grow. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, there's no time. So that, that was a hole in my game. Like I was mentally resilient long-term, but, you know, short-term, moment-to-moment, I wasn't as, uh, you know, prepared as I could have been knowing this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. so, and, and now you you're got me, got my head spinning because, you know, as I got older, you know what I mean? You're running out of time. 30, that's, that's 69 in the NFL once you turn 30. 
You know what I mean? You're, that's old. So it hit me harder because you're you, you running out of time. I, I don't have another offseason to prepare. This is my last offseason. This is it, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm thinking back, I'll tell you a story. And you could help maybe break this down clinically. So in 2012, uh, 2011, I got hurt in the NFL, right? No big deal. I, I'm gonna, I'll find a way out. I'll find a way back. I got plenty of time. I'm 23 years old. 2012, I go to, uh, I was with Buffalo for a little bit. Didn't work out. Then I went to the Arena League. Didn't work out either. And then I went to the USFL in Sacramento, the Mountain Lions, and I got cut. That was all in like six months of each other. Didn't make three teams. 2012. My roommate, and 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 in all honesty, like after I got cut, I was like, okay, I'm good. I know what I need to work on. Next year, I'm signing a futures with an NFL team. Someone's going to have me. I'll find a way, and I'll be ready. My roommate at the USFL, that was his rookie year in the NFL. He just got cut from the Chiefs. So he was a, went to Cal, was like a four-star recruit, goes to the Chiefs, and then gets cut, final cuts, right? And back then, they used to have two cuts, and they only had 80 players on the roster to begin with. So it's a little, it, you know, making it to that cut, that, that was good. So – he uh, goes to the USFL, and he's telling me, I'm done with this, man. If this doesn't work out, I'm done. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get – what do you mean you're done? You're 23 years old. you got the world in front of you. you got your dreams in front of you. Let's go. And uh, I ended up getting cut, and we stayed in contact that whole time. I think he signed with Green Bay on the practice squad a couple weeks after the USFL folded after a bunch of people didn't get paid. It was kind of very humble state style, you know what I mean? They didn't know what they were doing. And uh, so he goes, signs with Green Bay, and then gets cut like after two weeks, and he's like, that's it, I'm freaking done, screw this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You just you were in an NFL building for two more weeks. Another team liked you. And then he signed like at the end of the year, like the last four games with Pittsburgh, and they signed him to a Futures, and he, and he was like, he was over it, right? So, but for me, I'm like, bro, is if you got to piss in an NFL toilet, that means you could make a team. As I, as I got older, uh, I think I was fighting that urge to be like, to, to be like him. And I'm not calling him out. I get it. Like he, he's successful now, like in the fitness industry. But uh, I, I was like fighting that urge because I was freaking out. Like, oh, I'm done because I don't have time anymore to, to prepare. Like for him, so we had like a different level of resilience coming in. I don't know. How would you break that down clinically? I think that, that you, off the bat, it seems like you're, you're always trying to find something positive to take from the situation, more like, right? Yeah. yeah obviously, you know, he might have had, you know, you might have saw a certain level of talent in him that, no, you're good. You're going to be okay, bro. Just keep on, keep on grinding. You got this, you got that going for you, right? Uh, they might not in that moment see that, right? Um, and you know, perspective is always different, man. I mean, it's always different when you're the one that's taking the shots as opposed to when you're on the outside and seeing it. Right. Yeah. It, it's I mean, grinding and grueling to go through, yeah. you know, all those, all that failure. Right. So I think that also, like, if you look at basically my experience in life was like, well, it took me three and a half years to make varsity in high school. And I, you know, I played the whole high school career. I didn't play any downs my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, I didn't make the team at Humboldt. I was your cameraman your junior year, remember? So, you know what I mean? So maybe like all that experience going up to it, I'm like, it just, it, it left a lot for the imagination where he's like, this is BS after maybe always having success in the game. 
right there, I think that you might have hit it on the nail right there. I mean, you said he was a four-star recruit, went to Cal. Started a couple years. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, the, the road you took, you know, it, it almost you, – you had to be set up for, to be re- mentally resilient, you know, to come up that way, right? Not, yeah. And, and that, in a way, is a gift in of itself, right? I, I, was, I was talking to, uh, to my buddy about this. I mean, you kind of – you kind of get there's some things that you can't you can't buy and going working hard like hard work right working hard on something and getting that natural resilience that comes from putting in the hard work almost gives you a gift in of itself as opposed to just naturally having that talent and naturally being able to get yourself out of situations that you may you know you may get put in you know naturally being able to jump high and being able to get that that ball you know oh man I'm good I got this I don't need to practice that much but being able to actually practice and know I got to try to attack it at the highest point in some situations that might give you an advantage over someone, right? Cause they're going to misjudge it, but they think they can, they can jump. Right. Oh, well, that guy just outsmarted you because he had better positioning on the ball. Right. No, no, that's a good point too. So like uh, maybe I shouldn't be so hard on every, like if you just look at me, I, of course I'm going to value failure and I'm going to be like, it's easy for me to be like, Oh, he messed up. It's no big deal. This is how he can fix it. And uh, maybe a coach is a little more rigid in that sense because they didn't have my path of, like, failure, you know, really being, like, my foundation. Like, I'm a I'm – a, uh, failure to me, like, I'm like, I don't know how I'd figure any of this crap out. I wasn't talented or anything. So maybe I'm a little hard on coaches that um, are not – don't see it my way. They didn't they, – well, they didn't come up my way. Yeah, yeah, I mean – Man, uh, I didn't even know that whole story either, by the way, of the high school. You just kind of, whenever you told me about your high school career, you know, it was always kind of just like a real short statement about it. I didn't know all that stuff leading up to it. So hearing that story, man, it was really neat. And it was, it was really great to hear that back in the day, there were some coaches that were just like them. And it's always yeah. great to hear that there are coaches. We need more coaches out there that have that mindset, right? Where yeah. it doesn't matter if you're the best player or the worst player on the team, they're still going to give you the same amount of attention and the same amount of help. Right. Yeah. No. And, and then to, to that point, I was so embarrassed about my high school career because I, and I was like, okay, you guys don't know this, but I know this. I know that I'm not the person I was in high school because I've been training my ass off in the SoCal heat. You know what I mean? I've been, uh, I've been going to Crenshaw high where I have no business being at Crenshaw high because I know they're running 100s over there and I want to go test that out. You know what I mean? Hopefully I make it back to my car. It, it is what it is. So I know when I, when I got to humble, I'm not the same player. I don't want to talk about my high school career because I know that's not who I am right now. I just have no way of showing it. But, you know, so to me, it was like kind of I have no way of telling it. But you could believe me. So to me, it was like I could show you better than I could tell you. Let's get these pads on and uh, we'll go from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I never, I never shared. My friend Reggie came to uh, my senior game. Oh, another Reggie story. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, when he came to that game, or yeah, it was or homecoming, my senior year. All my friends on that old line, you were up there because you, uh, you're dating uh, my roommate. You're, well, you know, so Looney's married to my roommate's uh, sister, who was once his roommate before that. Uh, awesome story. Another podcast, though. Anyways, poor Bobby. So. Uh, when he came up there, he told them I wasn't good. He was like, yeah, yeah, uh, Boggs got second team all league at high school. And he didn't start. Bro, I was like, well, 
it don't matter now because I've made, I've shown that I've become a good player. But I was like, I was so embarrassed about who I was getting there. Like, I didn't want anyone to have like any, uh, oh, he was the second team all league in high school. Like, he's not going to be good. I didn't know. I wanted you to see the person that had been grinding, like finding high schools to work out, work out at and uh, really push myself. So, it, like, four years later, all of a sudden, he's telling stories about me sucking, and then, like, everyone's looking at hey, balls. And, and the other thing I was embarrassed about, because remember, I was smaller back then, right? I was, like, 255 when we met. Yeah, you were pretty lean, man. But yeah. jacked, bro. Jacked. Straight <laughs> jacked. <Had> abs. <laughs> but, like, in high school, I didn't want anyone to know that I was a lineman at that size because that just meant I wasn't good, Right. Like, I wasn't good and athletic enough to play anything. So I used to say I played linebacker, which was true. I played linebacker in practice. You know what I mean? I just never played in the game. So Re- Reggie was like, no. He was like, he played O-line with me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, man. But I, I was like, I wanted to, like, throw that out. So even, like, uh, I guess I got this – when I got to the NFL, I had the story I wanted, right? Like, okay, uh somehow somehow like the story i've been running from was exactly what i wanted i'm like because it gave me like confidence for the long term like <laughs> me getting cut from the nfl it took me four years to start in high school i don't care about this i'll be back and i'll be better i've done it before but before i realized that that was a power i was hiding from my past yeah i could i, I could see that like because everybody tries to talk themselves up right like You'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, I was all league in this. I was all league in basketball. I did this in baseball. It's like, yeah, it can be, you know, everyone, everyone's sitting there trying to, you know, put themselves up in here and there. But, yeah, like, I, I, it's not very cool for me to be like, oh, cool, man. You, you've lettered 16 times. I lettered once, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, I think there's a point. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think well, there's a point that you made. It's what you can do now. Yeah. That's what really matters, right? Let's put these pads on and let's run it and see what happens now. Right. You know, it's the same thing with, with the, what we were talking about with the mental health stuff, right? It doesn't matter how, how mentally fit you feel in February. What matters is how mentally fit you feel when you're in the trenches in August. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I love the way everything worked out for me, right? Like, obviously, I thought I was going to get a gold jacket in, football, in the NFL. Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit, right? But, uh, you know, I love learning things that I could have had because it gives me something to teach the next guy. Because, you know, like sometimes I'll see a little bit of me and another guy and I can help him. But I didn't I never really was able to put that together on the mental part where that short term and the now how I wasn't maybe maybe able to mitigate like those uh, those cognitions that came immediately. You know what I mean? Which is which is that when you think being ready for training camp. It's like, okay, I, I've, I've checked all the boxes. I just didn't know that that mental box existed. Dude, that's so true, right? We're, what do we do? When we're training, all we're doing, we're running, we're doing power cleans, working on our technique. But we don't think to actually be mentally ready. Like, oh, if I go through this situation, how am I going to react? You know, if I get this trigger, what's going to happen? But for, for a lot of us, you know, we, we kind of brush that stuff aside. You know, like how you mentioned, like, oh, I thought anxiety was just butterflies. And I hit someone and they go away. And I love that quote, by the way. It was great. Like that, that yeah. that's how it was for me too, right? Like before the game, like I would always be sitting there like, I just want this game to get over. 
because I, I want to get started because then I know all this stuff right in here, it's going to be gone. Right. Yeah. We, we never think about that. And it's, um, I, I think if, with things going on in the, in the world today, people are talking about it more, but I think there's a difference in language too. So like people are, you know, they might use those words, anxiety or depression. And, you know, it's not in a clinical sense or even an at-risk sense, you know, that they're, they're talking about things that are kind of normal to feel okay, but they're yeah. it to where it's like almost debilitating. Like, oh, I felt really anxious and I was debilitated. It's like, well, maybe you're just kind of, you know, you're looking at it too, 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 too hard, right? Yeah. No, I, and I think this is what like breeds extremes and stuff like that too. Like, and, uh, and, and stigmas, like we've replaced stigmas with stigmas and, and it, it's all about perception too. So, I mean, like I said, like anxiety, it sounded like a muscle in someone's body. I'm like, oh, he tore his anxiety. Where, where's that freaking located? <laughs> but like, uh, you got the Olympics. Everyone was freaked out about Simone Biles. Like it was way more nuanced than anyone knew. Right. That's why I stay out of it. I'm like, there's something I don't know that her and her teammates and coach know. Well, when they talked about the twisties, that's something I didn't twisty sounds like a nipple cover, but she had the twisties and she freaking um, you saw in her practice, like she could have broke her neck. It's a good thing. She pulled herself out. It had nothing to do with mental resilience and anxiety. But I think that that one tennis player doubling down, like saying pressure was a, a privilege, like maybe he felt like so uh, motivated to, uh, and I don't know the story either. I haven't watched much Olympics because the UFC fights and stuff this weekend, but, uh, and the Bellator, but like maybe he just felt like a need to, to uh, you know, hey, no, 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 we're tougher than this. And then all of a sudden he pulled out, you know what I mean? But it, we, we get these extremes where people like not knowing what it go from not knowing anxiety is to now it's debilitating them. And it was something that actually got them up in the morning or got them to play their sport in the first place. Am I, am I off on that? No, no, I think you're, you're pretty on. I mean, it's, it's a positive problem, right? We're talking about anxiety, you know, let's use the Simone Biles. All right. It, it's positive in the fact that we're talking about it more. We're talking about it right now. Lots of people are discussing it. Uh, but it's a problem because she didn't get the help that she needed. And likely she shouldn't even have went to Tokyo. I mean, if yeah. she knew she was going to pull out, if she knew in her head she wasn't mentally right, she likely shouldn't have, e have even have gone over there. From, from, from my understanding is that uh, she was on like an AD, ADD or ADHD medicine, you know, what I guess like Adderall or Ritalin or something like that. And she, they're not allowed to take it in Tokyo. So yeah, she did it. It was something she used in the previous Olympics, and all of a sudden she's not the same when she's over there. Yeah, okay, yeah. So that could be it too. You know, we're gonna have to wait like a year or two to find out all the uh, all the details, right? When I, I, I'll buy her uh, her autobiography, I'll find out then. I think it, because, like, I guess I live in this. It almost feels like a dual reality right now, where I'm like, yeah, mental resilience is important. Trust me, I have a good relationship with mental resilience. And mental health is also important. And I'm not going to side with one or the other because I think every, everyone's individual experience is nuanced. Like, I'm not about to bash this woman that's accomplished more athletically than I can ever fathom. You know what I mean? Oh, and I agree. So it, it's, it's interesting to me. And, and then I'm also not going to rule. I, I also will not say, oh, mental resilience is not important. Like, of course it's important. Like, 
I'm, I'm watching my son even in life, you know, he's, he's, he's developing it. Like even as I'm teaching him, you know what I mean? I'm not hard on him. He, he does martial arts and stuff. I don't care when he loses. I just say, Hey, good job. Next. I was like, what would you do next time? He doesn't necessarily have a hand answer for it, but he, it's reassuring to him that I'm cool with him messing up. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I even, even I see him on the playground. I think that's just as important or even in jujitsu, like he's learning things there. Like he's becoming more social and more mental resilient because of it. So I'm not, I'm, I will not downplay the importance of that, but uh, like right now, like look at how I've been talking mental health for a while. And I'm, I wish I knew that box to check going into training camp. Yeah, no, me too. But you know, you always learn these things after the fact, right? And I think I mentioned uh, something when I was talking to you last week. You know, you kind of get that you know, we, that growth happens on reflection. And that doesn't happen right at the moment. That might happen years later or months later or a week or two after, right? So just having a different perspective on certain matters, whenever you reflect on that same thing that may have happened, that's where the real growth happens, right? And so, you know, yeah. we're a little bit older. We understand these things, right? Like when we were younger, man, like here's, here's the real deal. When we were younger, our frontal lobes weren't fully developed. We weren't really, you know, capable, honestly. I mean, you, you know how I was back in the day, man. <laughs> you know, learning from Humboldt was a, was a different dude. And, you know, now I have a different capability just because I've gotten more older, more mature, different and varying life experiences. I can look and reflect on things and I can get, you know, growth from that, that there was different as opposed to like you know a couple weeks after the fact yeah no even like things that i thought i figured out through reflection as i've grown i can reflect on those things and be like no maybe that wasn't so cut and dry you know what i mean maybe it's a bigger gray area than i thought i call it the n-word not that n-word but nuanced you know what i mean hey no hey honestly the older i get in life the bigger the gray area becomes for me like it just it all depends there's so many things that depend you talk about, you know, Simone Biles, you know, it kind of depends. There's a lot more variables there. You talk about the tennis player. Well, it depends on what they were doing. Like, they could be completely different things, but they're experiencing similar symptoms, right? Yeah. So, so basically like it's, it's not just, it's not the reflection alone. It's reflection within the context of the individual's experiences that gets them to where they, their understanding, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, uh, you, you're, we're going to hear everybody's opinions, people that can't do a handstand. I actually can do a handstand. I did a handstand the other day with my boy. Yeah, I, I could do a handstand and a headstand. Now I'll post it one day. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, I'll do the same. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you got people that they want to throw out their opinions and, you know, their weight is not going to carry, you know, if it's just some middle-aged guy with a beer belly that can't do a flip at all, right? But if, yeah. you, if you get somebody's opinion that who is the, who is the, um, I think he's a Bantamweight fighter in UFC, uh, might have been a Mexican guy, um, but he retired right after he got the belt. Oh, Henry Cejudo. Yeah. I, I just trained with his nephew the other day in a wrestling class. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, he so coached. But you take his opinion, if he had an opinion on the matter, he's, his opinion is going to hold more weight, right? Why? Because that guy's been through the ringer. That guy's been yeah. punched in the face. He's been on the USA wrestling team. He's been to the top of the MMA world. When you talk about mental resilience and making sure you have your head right, you know, he has a, you know, what he says carries more weight than, you know, some Joe Schmo. So 
don't know. It, it's it's going to be fun to hear what everybody has to say regarding that. I'd like to hear what Tom Brady has to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, say I, don't, I don't think he'll touch that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, uh, no, he'll be smart. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, you know, that, and you mentioned it earlier. That's like, that, that is like one of my main reasons for like things like martial arts being important because like going to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you're not going to talk about Simone Biles if you if you've been choked out regularly, right? Like you forget your eyes, our eyes can clearly deceive us. Like there's, like I always think about the psychedelic studies they do on uh, and NYU and John Hopkins. That's, they, they're going through studies and their eyes are deceiving them. Our eyes deceive us all the time. We start feeling ourselves and we can look in the mirror and be like, I wouldn't have done that. I would have never quit. I would have went out there and said, screw the twisties. I would have went out on my shield and broke my neck because I'm such a badass. Dude, I got choked out two weeks ago on the same day that I deadlifted 600 pounds. I got choked out by a guy that weighs 160. I don't have, I don't, I'm not about to bash anyone. You know why? Because my eyes are not deceiving me. I don't see that 600 pound deadlift, like thinking I'm unstoppable. I'm 33 and I'm still deadlifting 600. No, I just got choked out by 160. I will stay hum. I will stay humble. I will keep this, this earned humility, just like the mental resilience is earned. That humility is earned. And you got to put yourself through things to get that. It, it, that's just my opinion about that. No, that's great. I mean, no, it's so true, man. Like, and that, that honestly, those kinds of things I had to experience in order to look back and say, oh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't lose this certain battle, you know, when I was playing football because, you know, I was a sissy. I lost it because of my technique, because it clearly shows, right? You're big and strong. Deadlift 600. 160 pounds. He just choked you out, right? That's what can happen. I mean, I thought I was tough. Oh, yeah, I'll take a late kick from a former K1 kickboxing winner, Carter Williams, California. Shattered my dreams. Yeah. Bruised for two weeks. Couldn't hardly walk. Right. You know, no, it, I'm going to train no. in the pool. I'm not going to actually compete. <laughs> there's a lot to say about that. No, like, uh, there's a guy, um, he just won a uh, Muay Thai fight this past week in Nash from my gym, and he, like we, he go to wrestle that. He's a he's a he's a fighter. I'm just a novice, right? Like I go there, I jitsu, I go to the wrestling class, I go to the striking class. I don't like to get hit too hard, and like in wrestling, I was beating him. Well, I'm I'm two ninety, you know what I mean? He's like two thirty, and I'm beating six, him, and I'm six, like two ninety, right, box? Six six two ninety, and and I'm like, dude, if you want to do a uh, He's like not frustrated, but he's joking. Like, and I'm like, dude, if you wanted me to stop wrestling, you could just punch me in my face or kick me in my leg, and I would just leave. Like, I, I wouldn't fight back. You know what I'm mean? like? Because uh, those things they, they keep you honest, man. You know what I mean? There's always something to keep you honest. Like, okay, yeah, I'm better at wrestling than you, but I don't want to get hit by you either. You know what I mean? And then like I'll always joke around, like, like because I have a helmet and shoulder pads in my car because I work with guys in helmets and shoulder pads. Mm -hmm. And like, whenever we're leaving jujitsu and like some black belt, just work me. And I'll be like, well, next time you got to put this on, you got to put on my uniform and see what happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Coming to my domain. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I remember, you know who Louis Simmons is? Uh, West side barbell. Yes. So he's a nut job, right? He's probably a genius. I don't know, but he was on Joe Rogan and he made a good point. This was like four years ago and it stuck with me. He was like, you could, you could choke me out. You could knock me out, but it'll make you tougher than me. And I, like, what I'm saying is like, 
maybe tougher is not the adjective to use, but uh, it doesn't make you more mentally resilient because that's your world. Joe Rogan is a martial artist. Louis Simmons is a power lifter. So when it comes to their world, Louis Simmons, like, yeah, it doesn't make him less, less of a man or less of anything because there's something he does and specializes in that Joe can't handle. No, that's true, right? And he has confidence because he's really good at that, right? Right. So his idea of tough is different. And, you know, that's important too, man. Yeah, no, for sure. Well. Oh, there was one thing. I, I forgot to mention it. We didn't get to mention it. And it was when we were talking about culture and kind of how yeah. you mentioned, oh, man, we got all these guys from the Bay, got dudes from San Diego. Hold got- on. Hold on. How lazy were the San Diego guys outside of Drew Shaw? I'm sorry. Oh, I just got to throw it out there. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh I love San, San Diego is my favorite place in the world, though. <laughs> hey, hey, I did. They're so lazy. I beat Justin Hornsby in a race <laughs> during the summer. I outsmarted him and I ran faster than him in the drill. I beat him. <laughs> happened. Asked Drew. He witnessed it. No, I remember. I remember. It was a big deal. It's a it, big was, deal. it was. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you got all these guys from different cultures, man. You got, you know. You know, the, the country boys from, you know, Central Valley, all that, right? But here's one thing that happened, man. And you remember Johnny Terrell. So, man. Yeah, from Oakland. Here, Oakland Tech High School. Oakland Marshawn Tech. Lynch, best friend. Yes. So, there was one, uh, man, it might have been like right in the beginning, that junior year. We got into it during practice. I remember that. You do remember that, right? Yeah. But here's the thing that happened. He got into the locker room before I did, and I was walking by. So, his, you know, his, is right, his, his locker is right there to the left, and I walked by. He grabs me and says, hey, Loon, we good? It's like, yeah, we're good, man. It's, it, it's just practice. Me and him both had this. We both grew up from completely different areas in California. But yeah. we had the same idea and mentality culturally wise that, hey, you go on the practice field. You leave it out there. You bust your ass. If you get in a fight, you get in a fight. After practice is done, we're cool. Yeah. And we I mean, the, you, the, you the had the same thing with Desmond. Desmond from Pomona, California, one of my best friends. Same I thing. thought Desmond kicked me intentionally. And he hit me, hit me right in the groin. And I, that, that was a, that's a trigger for me, by the way. And that's why I well, You're not to, ready. I, yeah, I, I was not ready. <laughs> but you guys had hung out outside of that. Outside of that. You know what I mean? You guys hung out together and stuff. Like but you that. know, the great thing was is that when I came up to him and I told him what had happened, I thought he did it intentionally. He apologized and said, I didn't mean to. I wasn't trying. Like, Because uh, it was a scuffle, right? Everybody got yeah. into a scuffle. He thought that I grabbed somebody else and twisted them or did something like this. No, he caught onto my shoulder pad. And it, you know, it just turned out to be, you know, miscommunication and whatnot and tempers flared. But, you know, uh, I wanted to take it to, to blows after practice, kind of. I at least wanted to talk to him about it because I was really angry. <laughs> and, 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 and he was ready, too. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, uh, and, and he wasn't soft for apologizing either. Like, that dude, Desmond's no joke. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. It, but, uh, you know, to that point, and I – it's not necessarily true in high school because you're going to get, you know, similar cultures, even similar individual cultures in like a, in a bigger culture, like as a school, mm-hmm. but in college and the NFL, it shows you like a possibility of what the world could be. It shows you the possibility. So like we could watch the news and this is going that point of your eyes deceiving you. We could watch the news and be like, no, it's not like that. Well, it is like that out there. It's just our experience is maybe it is that divide out there. I don't know. 
but our experience is we've saw, we've seen what the world could be or and we or we see it how how we how we experience like you're just talking about a guy from Oakland, a guy from Pomona and then you from Denaire in the country. You guys were all cool like got in a fight, you guys are cool, you hung out. If you guys saw each other right now, you you you'd, you'd oh, argue you, oh, yeah, you'd argue over who's going to pay for lunch. Yep. You know what I mean? And yep. that's that was our experience especially at Humboldt State because California is so diverse that all all of us met in this just this beautiful shithole in Northern California. <laughs> uh, I'm talking all cultures. Like you got Southeast San Diego is different than North County San Diego. You got East Bay different than, you know, just all these different cultures. And we all got along and it just showed you what the world could be. And it, it, I have to remember that that's not necessarily the experience of everyone else, because just how you guys started as a fight, you became friends eventually. Yeah. I mean, and you know, man, whenever you're, you're grinding next to somebody and you're working hard, you, you kind of, you figure out who you can trust when you're doing all that. Right. Right. And for me, honestly, you know, pl- growing up playing sports, that was like the only, that was like how I made all my friends. Right. Like I knew I was pretty decent at basketball. So if I, you know, I could always go somewhere and I'm going to make friends and then they're going to hit me up and we're going to find some other place to play, you know, whatever. Same thing with football. Right you go into the real world now we're transitioning to the real world it's hard for me to figure out how i can trust somebody that i work with because i don't get to get in those fights with them i don't get to go you know in the trenches with them and actually figure out you know is this someone i can trust that i can i can go to if i need right you figure out a lot about people whenever you're grinding like that it brings out a little something different in us you know what i mean that is a great point. That's another gift then that comes with the hard work. You know what I mean? You get the resilient, you get these trusts, you get these long lasting relationships. Like, like, look, we're still friends 14 years. We, we technically played one year together. We're still friends. And I was at your wedding and you're at my wedding. And, uh, your, your wife is my other friend's sister. It's all good, man. <laughs> She's a nice lady. <laughs> yeah. Julie's awesome, man. Julie. But no, no, that's a great point. I, I, Right when you said that, I was like triggered with like a couple, couple little busters I've come across. I just didn't grind it out with them, and that was the problem, man. I didn't have that experience with them. Well, think about how how it is whenever you find someone that's a good partner in jujitsu or kickboxing. How quickly you're like, oh, me, I can work with this dude now, right? Like if you're sparring yeah. with somebody, right? You know, like both of you guys know, like okay, we're only going to go this hard, and, and and you guys work together, you can get a lot of work. You know, and there's can be a lot of growth with that, you know, whereas yeah, there might be sure. some people where you know, they might be all ego whenever you're rolling with them and you don't want to roll with them. You know, they might try to break your arm because they, they think it's cool to do that. You oh, know? man. Imagine when they find out my background. They all want to break my arm. Exactly. Right. They all <laughs> want to show they all want to show you up. Yeah. But a lot of good guys over there. Well, I don't think we knew where we were headed, but I think that was a very productive conversation. Uh <laughs> I don't know how loud those dog barks were. I don't think I'll be able to edit that out, but hopefully it sounds uh, sounds good. Did you hear the dog bark? I heard him. Oh, man. He's ah, the worst. Uh, well, hopefully this all works out and I'll get this posted and everything. But that was awesome. I appreciate the insight. Really opened my mind. I think it's an important conversation to have. Man, this was a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate, you know, just having the, having the time, man. It's It's good just to sit back and shoot the breeze with you, man. Yeah, for sure. Shoot the breeze while uh, sharing your professional expertise. Dr. Dickhead, David Looney, my man. I appreciate it. Uh, Hand on the line podcast. Give me a like. Give me some reviews. Give me a follow. Follow my man, D. Loon. What's your uh, Instagram, Looney? 
Lima Blanca, 65. I have a lot of stuff on lifting weights and brewing beer. That's what I do for fun. Yeah. All right. So he's, I mean, he's a doctor, but he's also a regular guy. I love it. No, I appreciate everything, Looney. I value our friendship. You've been a great friend for the last 14 years. Awesome talking with you, man. All right, man. Have a good one.